Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Uh, my guest this week is John Kinsella, uh, and I will let uh, John go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Thanks, Tony. Uh, yeah, so um, I am uh, one of the co-founders and head of product for Laird Insights. Uh, we're a container security company, application container security company. Um, I've been in industry for, God, I think it's probably 20 years now. Where's my cane? Uh, I've done uh, <laughs> application security, penetration testing, uh, software development, source code review, infrastructure. So I've, I've seen the InfoSec space from a lot of different angles, uh, done some separate uh, InfoSec startups in the past, and uh, yeah, happy to talk about what we're doing with Laird Insight. Cool. Um, actually, it's funny that when you, you, you said, the you know, where's my cane, that, that 20 years, I mean, I've been around that long, too. That 20 years kind of blinked by, I feel like. Yeah. I just had a conversation earlier with someone where I was talking about a, 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 a mutual friend in, in cybersecurity, and I said, yeah, you know, I've known him since 2002. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. Right. It just, it just seems you, you like... You do the math, and you're like, wow. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like... Uh, and, 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 you know, and what's funny is how much has changed and how much hasn't in that 20 year span. Um, because in a lot of ways, from from a pure cybersecurity perspective, um, there are stories that I write that are just your annual story. I mean, the, there's like the annual, <laughs> there was a data breach, oh look, everyone is still using one, two, three, four, five, six for their password. I mean, that's an annual story that we've written for 20 straight years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, I can't remember the context. I've heard one of the the parody sites out there. I'm not sure if there's it's the Onion or which, but there's every time a particular event happens, they just I guess they're copy and pasting the same story that they wrote 10 years ago. It's the same type of thing. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, I was going to say we walk the floor of RSA in San Francisco every year, and we see our buddies, and they hop from company to company, but they're selling the same thing. And I think that's one of the the interesting things about what we came up with at Laird Insight when I I started this, and this is one of my spiels when I'm I'm hiring engineers is um, you know, we, we sort of took a step back. We talked about and thought about the industry and what's going on. And, you know, if you think about those 20 years, 30 years, uh, you've got infrastructure, excuse me, firewalls, uh, IDSs, IPSs, antivirus, um, a few other band-aids out there, right? So every time a new technology comes along, when it was the, the PC and then the Mac and then the, um, you know, maybe a, a blade server or a virtual machine and then, you know, uh, cloud systems and VPSs. And every time a new technology comes along, a vendor comes along and sort of slaps those same things against the same band-aids against the, the latest product. And I want to try and do something a little different. So, um, you know, looking at what we did from a, my background from an operations point of view, how can I get the information both out of a container that I want so I can understand what it's doing from a, um, operational response point of view. And then also how can I harden that and actually control what's going on inside that application? So that's sort of how we uh, thought about develop, developing this product. Well, and okay. So that's a, it, it's good to take that step back. Um, you know, because if you, if you look at, you know, containers have gone the same way as most technologies where it's like it, you know, they existed before. Um, but you know, Docker kind of put them on the map. You know, that's when it like really took off and gained traction, and and Docker was the the hot new thing. And all of a sudden, everyone wanted to do containers. And then, of course, you know, like a year after the fact, someone says, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we should secure those things." Um, and and so, as with all things in in tech, security is an afterthought. And then and and then you had this kind of shift where everyone started looking at that security question. And there were a lot of innovative 
approaches. I mean, there were I think there were some dumb approaches too, but there were a lot of innovative approaches for how are we going to secure these containers. And I mean, some of them were just, you know, you know, containers in my mind were sort of like a step away from or an evolution of all of the uh, virtualization and virtual computers. And like, so some of the solution was, well, what if we just made each one of these its own, you know, virtual machine or something? Um, yeah. And then there was like, you know, the Microsoft solution and the Intel solution of, you know, well, let's just build, you know, sort of our own containers that are just, you know, have the security. Um, but a lot of the solutions out there, um, which I think, you know, th this really gets at what, what does kind of make Layered Insight unique and, and what, you know, differentiates you in this market um, is in order to get the, the insight to get the visibility necessary uh, to see what's going on in the container and to, to, to extract the information necessary to secure and protect it, they are, you know, they either require some sort of root access um, or there's some sort of an agent that's running on the host operating system that is, you know, kind of acting as an intermediary and, and, and granting this access. But in, in, in one of, in both of those cases, you're sort of exposing yourself to potential security concerns um, by having that access, and and also, I mean, I guess also with both of them, you also are sort of taking away one of the most valuable benefits of the containers, which is their agnostic portability. Like, you know, the whole point is I've got this container and now I can run it on Linux, I can run it on Windows, I can run it on, you know, Azure, I can run it on AWS, I can run it wherever I want to run this container. Um, but if I start implementing security solutions that require me to install a Windows-based agent, well, now I've just limited what I can do with that container. Yep, um, completely. I'm, uh, we're, we're audio only, but I'm, my head is shaking vigorously. Um, <laughs> and I, I want to back up on that a tiny second, because I think the history you were just walking through is actually super important to that final question of, of why are people securing these things this way? So if you think about, you know, me and one of my previous lives is using a lot of Apache Cloud Stack, and I thought, hey, it would be pretty neat if I could actually get some of the, the management plane installed via LXC containers. And then that would allow me some level of portability at, at that spec, right? This is probably, oh, I think around five or eight years ago. Um, and it turned out, uh, due to some of the networking constraints, I think it was with the Tomcat system, that getting that running in, in LXC was actually a bit of a pain in the butt, right? And that's why Docker became so hugely successful, is because they've made this ability to, um, I want to phrase that I heard from one of their keynotes last year or this year was um, uh, additive collaboration, right? So this ability for a, de for a developer to go and say, hey, I need a, you know, you said Microsoft, so uh, either an MSSQL uh, database or a MySQL database, or I need a Tomcat server, and just grab these puzzle pieces and just get stuff working so they can focus on what they want to do, which is develop applications. So if you take that and think about then, um, Docker is amazing on, on a laptop or on a desktop, you know, running, no problem, very easy, very easy to use. When you go to productize that, or excuse me, um, not productize, if you go to actually take that in production, productionalize that. Uh, suddenly things become a lot more complex, a lot more difficult. And this is when, you know, our traditional sysops, uh, system administrators get involved. You know, our label this year is, is DevOps. I know there's a little bit difference there, but still the same sort of idea. And with that hat on, um, for the last 20, 30 years again, we've had very traditional ways of how we secure our servers. 
So, you know, you go look for the, the, um, the agent or the daemon or whatever you're going to install in that system, sort of like what you're talking through in a Windows agent on that side, kernel module, what have you. That's sort of the traditional way we think about things. Um, but what we're seeing is a little bit of uh, some, at least some of the um, operational folks which are uh, excited by that type of technology, they miss sort of the jump from physical servers into virtual machines or specifically into a cloud environment where, you know, you can't expect that server to be around in three hours or you have to be able to expect that you're going to be suddenly bursting to 10 more servers. So now with all that sort of laid out, why I think what we're doing is actually fairly exciting is the hybrid approach of that, the ability to say, you know, we're building security into that container. So as that container goes from my laptop to um, one of my developers' desktops, maybe out to Amazon or Azure, the security's built into it. So I don't need to worry about that installing a kernel module or making sure to write stuff in the server or actually protecting to make sure that it's not going to get compromised. So that, that's sort of the way we look at it and why I think what we're doing is really cool. Yeah, and I agree. And I think that is cool. And, you know, one of the things, um, as you were saying that, one of the things that occurred to me too is, uh, you know, there was a, a pivotal point a few years back, a couple years back, um, where uh, just with containers themselves, where things started to look like they could get proprietary because it was everything it was like it was everything docker 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 and then you had like core os and you had these competing containers but um it it started to become sort of a uh vhs versus betamax <laughs> kind of thing mm -hmm. and, and it's like you know which 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 i think en ends up hindering the adoption because you have a lot of companies who look at that and say okay well i don't want to i don't want to pick the wrong one uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go with a proprietary standard, and then three years from now it's obsolete, and then I have to do, redo the whole thing. So I mean, I think it was great that you know there there were some strides made in you know creating some container standards and saying okay, we're all going to agree to play by these rules so that companies don't feel like you know they've backed themselves into a corner uh, with you know this container pr product or that container product. Um, but then that brings us back. To the security side of it, which is okay. Well, now that now now that you can have these containers and they can go anywhere, you also need security that does that too. Yeah, and um, that that's really um, it's it's interesting and it, it's proven out almost sort of uh, um, laughably easy for us and some of our some of our initial engagements with, with some of our customers. Are, um, one I'm, I'm known for talking about. We had a customer about a year year and a half ago, large customer who. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of this with across many of our customers that they're learning and trying to figure out what technologies they want to use themselves, right? So they know they want to go to containers. They see the benefits of that. They've, they've, they've read everything and they've seen the, the keynotes and all the pitches and they're sold. Their developers are screaming first. So I know they want to use it, but they're like, okay, well, how do we do this in production? Do we do Kubernetes? Do we do Docker Swarm? Do we do what type of storage? Do we do public, private, you know, all, all sorts of questions around us. Um, but frequently they'll come and say, we're trying to figure that out. And I'm not kidding when I say this. We know we want to use Slayered Insight. Um, so what you guys are doing makes sense. No root access, no privileged containers, no capabilities, all these things. They really love that aspect. We're like, we're trying to figure out the other pieces, but we know we want to use you. So we want to do a POC across Kubernetes, Swarm, and say Mesos. Um, do you guys have the bandwidth to support three at the one time? And we're like, <laughs> we don't care. You've instrumented that container once. You can run it across any of the three, and it just works. Um, we had this one customer who they weren't sure so they started off with Mesos. And then after two weeks, they changed their mind and they wanted to go to Kubernetes. 
And I'm not kidding, two, three weeks later, they said, you know, actually, we want to try um, OpenShift or Docker Swarm, I think it was. And they kept changing. And we're like, hey, it's, we instrumented that container for you as part of that. We fit into a CI-CD process. So once we have our logic inside that OSI standard container, it's able to run wherever you can run that OSI standard, which nowadays is pretty much anywhere. Right. Well, and, and now, you know, and now the, the current trend we're seeing is, you know, with serverless and it's, you know, you got your AWS Fargate and you've got Google, uh, you know, with, uh, with it, they just rolled out with uh, native and, uh, you know, the GKE uh, add-on uh, for serverless. And, mm-hmm. you know, now I guess with Google, I'm not really sure about AWS Fargate. You probably know better than I, uh, but with, with, both the GKE add-on and native, they're really they're 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 somehow running a Kubernetes cluster in, on in the serverless environment. It's like it's still it's still a Kubernetes-based solution, even though it's on a serverless environment. Yeah. So you know, uh, quite honestly, it's I'm I'm not trying to be the funny guy today, but um, you could say AKS. Um, oh, I'm going to screw it up myself. GKE. Um, EKS, you could just rattle off a bunch of letters and I'm just going to sit here and nod my head because I have a hard enough time keeping track of them myself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we we were the first customer, or excuse me, the first security vendor on um, uh, Fargate. And I believe we still are the only one that has actual native support. Um, we can run in there with any type of, you know, other things going on. Um, same thing for serverless, right? So what's serverless? And let's, let's leave the religious discussion aside about you always need a server. Um, but there is something going on underneath, whether that's a container or a server. Um, what we've done for a few customers right now is we've instrumented that that base level, which goes into either um, native or serverless or pick your poison. And then as the code gets injected and runs on top of that, our security logic is there to actually monitor what it's doing. So, yeah, it, it, it's pretty neat. Um, other use cases, you know, we've done IoT. So either with network connectivity or if you can imagine some serious hardcore, the enterprise IoT. I, I, when I say IoT, I usually mean um, IIoT, so industrial IoT. Mm-hmm. But some of those things are being used in pretty high-end, um, I'll pick my wording, uh, unique locations where either a network connection is very expensive or just not possible. So we have the ability to actually, once that container's been instrumented and running on that device, never has to talk to us again. So it's very flexible in how we're able to use it. And, and how we're able to actually still provide protection around that. Yes, I mean, and and, and I you know I, I I just think that that uh, you know like right now it seems like you know you guys are you guys have a neat a unique approach, um, and there's a lot of security solutions out there, but uh, I'm not aware of anyone else really doing it the way you're doing it. But mm-hmm. I have this you know if I was to predict out three years from now or whatever, I think you're going to have a lot more competition because as we continue to move to serverless and as, you know, people, you know, really, you know, as containers continue to uh, gain momentum, um, you know, I think it's, it's just going to play out where people are going to be like, oh, okay, but I need, I need security that, you know, doesn't tie me down or expose me to additional risk. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to it, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and these aren't really specifically, forward-looking statements, but still sort of, you know, think about my background. I've spent a, a ton of time with, like I said, in application security and using products like Fortify and, and Ounce Security and, and really doing, you know, um, what's going on from a static analysis point of view of, of an application. Uh, we occasionally get 
folks asking us about, can we support that right now? I, <laughs> I vigorously shake my head. No, I don't want to even think about it, but it is something I think about partnering with. Like, how can I, you know, either from a serverless point of view or from just a straight, you know, quote unquote, traditional or legacy container, how do we, how can we look even deeper still, right? You know, um, so we're, we're talking a lot here, sort of really high level and people who might not know what Laird Insight is, the technology we've created allows us to see every file being accessed or executed in a container, every network connection is being uh, made inbound or outbound. So we're really seeing what that application is doing at a really granular level. Um, so then start thinking about, you know, if you're being, if you're looking for an attacker, you want to harden an application about to only do specific things or access specific files, these are the type of things your customers are using this for, either in a, you know, a manually configured policy or, you know, we can do machine learning stuff too. So pick your poison either way. Um, and then we're able to actually move up that stack and, and talk about things like that in a, uh, say, a third generation language like Java. So we're able to actually instrument and capture what's happening at a, a you know, at a, a class method call level. Um, so you can get pretty unique into seeing what's happening inside an application, um, but still that's runtime. So take a step back, like I, was, like I was saying, and think about, okay, well, if we actually know the, uh, what I refer to as the chess moves, which have been figured out by, you know, say Fortify as an example, what, what are the actual sources and syncs on this application and, and what's going on? And then if in the runtime environment, we're able to see what's happening there. Um, that, that's going to be sort of interesting for some of our customers. Um, there, there is a demand right there. You know, so just if you think about sort of multiple levels in a, um, a maturity um, of container security or, or serverless security, people initially think about, okay, what vulnerabilities are out there that we need to be aware of, you know, standard CVE type stuff. Um, next level then is how do we either have the visibility into this application or the ability to control it, which is, you know, what we're sort of doing nowadays. The next level which we start seeing customers ask us about is um, how do we protect against the unknown? So there's the two answers to that in our, in our book. One is that the current right now is, um, from a standard hardening point of view, if I if I am able to record all the activity which your application, your containerized application is doing, and lock it down to very specifically that, at that point in time, if someone has an O-day and they try to pop your, I keep saying box, but they try to pop your application in your container, you know, they're not going to get far if they try to execute a shell. We've never seen a shell executed in that process before so we block it right so it becomes very hard to actually perform an attack or a pivot um, but going a little bit further still that's great for those sort of lower level things what about um, SQL injection or cross-site scripting or something that's really um, application dynamic and application specific so if we're able to partner with some of those guys and get some of that uh, as I said source sync type information where's the input coming from and then what's happening to it and where should we expect it to go out um, I, I think that's sort of what we're looking at over the next, call it 18, 24 months, and be interested to see how that, that part of the market does shape around. Yeah. Um, uh, minor minor tangent, but uh, I want to go back when you <laughs> when you went into serverless and, and you said, that, you know, let, let's, let's avoid the religious de debate about the fact that obviously there's a server there somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I find it interesting when we have that same conversation around around cloud and people are like, well, you know, you move into the cloud and the cloud is this and the cloud is that and and, and, and everyone should move to the cloud. And it's like, well, you know, yeah. your cloud is just someone else's server. Like yeah. <laughs> someone, someone's still running a server in a data center somewhere. It's just not yours. Uh, I you know, suspect um, it's, it's the same group of folks making both of those arguments. And I've, I've got some friends from my college days, which are very dear friends of mine. And, and, you know, we don't always agree on those terms, but uh, um, I think it, it, it's the world you live in, right? Um, I have, I don't run a server at home anymore. Somebody was asking me the other day. I have, um, 
you know, I used to be the guy who um, the girlfriends didn't want to stay at my place because there'd always be some noisy thing in the corner of the room when I was, you know, in my 20s. Um, and nowadays I have, you know, what I'm looking at right now is a, a MacBook and a keyboard, right? That's, I just, I don't have those things because that's sort of the way, um, for me personally, I'm very happy with keeping stuff in the cloud. Um, now, a security guy, so it's not being kept in the average way your average person is, right? That I'm doing some extra things in there probably here and there. But um, I've, I've adopted and I'm happy with it. And I try to, um, as a technologist, be aware and cognizant of what's coming down the road. And, you know, that's both interesting to me, but I think that's also important career-wise, right, to, to look forward and not backwards. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you're talking about the, the noise um, and heat is another thing. Uh, you know, my, yeah. my older my older boys, uh, you know, both they've, they've both moved out now, but, uh, you know, they each had these you know massive gaming desktops with, you know, triple monitor configuration yeah. and stuff. And um, and they would always complain about, you know, their rooms were hot. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I can't like, do it. Like, I'm not going you know, like, to like, you're you're running all this stuff. Of course, your room is hot. And um, yeah. my office is sort of the same way. And it was interesting because we had uh, we had uh, contractors in here this week doing painting. And so for a few days, I had unplugged everything in my office um, so they could get their work done. And when I walked in here, I was like, I never knew this room could be this quiet. <laughs> you know, without because I've got this, I've, I've got an IOSafe uh, like floodproof, fireproof uh, unit here that stores like you know 16 terabytes of, of data. And I also store stuff in the cloud, but I, I'll I, you know for for uh, call me paranoid, but I, I I like having it here too. So like when it comes to like mm -hmm. my family photos and stuff, um, you know I don't always trust that uh, you know whoever is my cloud provider or, you know, cloud storage du jour um, is going to be there tomorrow or that they're not just going to hit the wrong button and lose everything. And so I like having it here. Um, but damn, this thing makes a lot of noise. I, I need to find another room. I got, <laughs> I could just plug it, this, plug this in in a closet somewhere else. You're reminding me of flashbacks. I don't know if you've ever walked into a data center during a power outage. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very, uh, um, disquieting sense of, of quiet in a year like oh my god this is going to take a lot of work to get back up online but yeah it's uh sounds can be a wonderful thing yeah so yeah uh, that, that's going to be one of my projects is the, you know there's, there's there's network connections all over my house i just have to find somewhere else to plug this in where it's not going to yeah. affect anyone because it because it actually adds to the heat too and, it, and, it, and it's ironic um, because like, you know, you said you have a, a, the, the MacBook, which I assume has like a, a fan of some sort, but I'm like, I'm running the, most of my life I, I'm using a Surface Pro and it's like, it's a fanless thing. So it's like, I could have silence <laughs> if I would just get rid of this one unit. Yeah. Yeah. The MacBooks are pretty good. Excuse me. They're pretty good. Um, if I'm, uh, like, you know, like I said before we started the podcast, I accidentally clicked on a, a, a Skype link and it, it decided that was a great time to fire up Windows 10 in a VM. And at that point, yeah, um, uh, it sounded like the house was melting down, but uh, uh, quickly returned back to normal. Yeah, I used a Mac. I had a MacBook Air as my primary computer for a couple years mm -hmm. until the Surface Pro. When the first Surface Pro came out, I switched. And even though that one wasn't like that one wasn't awesome, that wasn't the, the best thing ever. Um, but I really love how quickly they went from Surface Pro to two to three. And by the time I got to Surface Pro three, I was like, "All right, I think they've nailed this. This is this is my computer." You know, I, I'll honest. I'm I'm fairly OS agnostic. I've spent my days with the, the Unixes and the Windows, and the um, I'd love to spend time with a, a Surface Pro for two or three weeks and just sort of see what how that fits into my lifestyle. Um, I think the MacBook Air was one of the most brilliant things out there. Um, 
I, I have I have one. It's one of my backups. But for a while, that was like you know my my favorite piece of the hardware on on the planner. I think they did a really great job with it. Um, yeah, could use more memory, but hey. Yeah, well, I mean, and but you know, to to tie that back in with cloud, um, you know, that's what, <laughs> a lot of times what I find now is um, since Microsoft introduced the ability with OneDrive that uh, you can have these files synced. Without having it have to be uh, without having it local on your machine, um, is is a, is a it work it works wonders for me because then I've got these machines that only have like 256 gig SSDs in them and they can't actually they can't fit all the data that I have stored in the cloud, but I still have access to all the data I have stored in the cloud because I can just you know summon the files I want when I need them, um, and so that 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 works out well for me and and i really like I, i'm also uh os agnostic i mean i i i, I remember how fun it was to be a uh, a tech writer um when you really really had these like religious apple versus microsoft debates uh, which i don't i don't feel like that happens as often anymore um but i remember when i switched to the macbook air my my first thought after using it for a couple months was this is really kind of the same. You know, I, I felt like I was sold, like it was going to be so magical and everything was just going to be awesome. And I'm like, no, I still have like pretty much the same number of issues. They're just slightly different issues. And, you know, it's like, it's, it, it, it was really the same. Um, and so, yeah, I, I came away from that experience saying, hey, you know what? Mac OS is awesome, but so is Windows. Just choose one. You know, and, and that's, how, that's how I feel about iOS versus Android too. I mean, it's like, just just pick one, whatever works for you. Yeah, Mac, Mac OS back in the in the, the early Macintosh days, that was sort of just a neat thing for me. But um, when they moved over to moved over to OS 10 and it was Unix based underneath the hood, that at that point that felt at home to me because I you know I've been using using Unix for probably 10 years at that point, and um, that that's that's why it's my home nowadays. But hey, yeah, you can you can do a pretty good uh, Unixy setup on a, a Windows box with PowerShell, which is I keep telling my Unix friends or my excuse me my Linux friends. That uh, PowerShell is pretty amazing, and they're like the, the eye rolls are, uh, um, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. Well, there was a when when I was when I was in the Air Force, uh, like early to mid '90s, there was a point in time where I, I decided to build my own computer, and for whatever reason, I decided I was going to do non-standard everything. So I went with um, a uh, it wasn't even AMD. I went with the the Cirrus Logic processor. Oh yeah. Uh, I went with a non-haze modem. I went with a non-creative lab sound card. I had a non-HP printer. Uh, I installed OS 10. Um, you know, and, and everything about it. And it, it was it was a fun experiment. And it was it was it was it was uh, you know I got a lot of education out of you know trying to make all of that work. Um, but after about a year of that, I said, you know, this swimming upstream thing is kind of a pain in the ass. It's a lot easier yeah. to just buy a system and it has all the stuff and it just works. And I think that's probably one of my prior, primary reasons I have a, a, a Mac laptop and not like a Dell box running Linux. Um, and probably the same with you with the Surface, right? It's um, it, They've gotten a lot better, but still I, I tease my friends about Bluetooth compatibility and stuff like that. And it's, I, I just need something to work. Um, yeah. I, I love playing with that stuff when I have the time, but um, um, you know, I do tons of work with like home automation and other things. But uh, you know, it, when it's time for me to, to do work, it, it, it has to be 100% solid. Yeah, well, and that was back in that was that was back when you still had to have uh, fun, like setting 
IRQ and DMA interrupts like manually yeah. with jumpers on the motherboard and yeah, you know, good good fun stuff. Yeah, um, my my favorite one was I had a it was one of the 486 chips and um, I wanted to put an updated version on my motherboard, but I think there was a hack to get um, I think it was improved clock speed, but you had to cut one of the pins on on the 486 chip itself. Or you had to drill something out of the, the – I remember there was a small drill bit and, like, a, a pair of uh, um, pliers involved. And, yeah, I, I, that was fun, but I'd rather not do that nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me, like, even, so even earlier in my Air Force days, when I was when I was in England, so this would be, like, 1989, 90, mm-hmm. uh, I had a Tandy 1000SL. Oh, wow. And I wanted to upgrade it because it was, like, right when hard drives – started to be a thing for consumers um but there were no like uh they didn't like have isa slots or i mean they, they didn't have like hard drive slots all i had were these isa card slots and so i i, I bought a it was a card mounted hard drive and it was only an eight it was an 80 megabyte hard drive it cost me like three hundred dollars <laughs> and now when i think of that i'm like i can buy like three terabytes for like a hundred dollars now <laughs> Or you look at that Android or iPhone thing in your hand, and you're like, "Wow, yeah, yeah, miles apart." So, anyway, uh, I, I, I feel like we got a little bit away from the uh, container security <laughs> uh, issue, but um, you know, to, to you know, just bring it back. I mean, I, I really love, I, I do really love what you guys um, are doing, and and the stories that you told about, you know, what what customers come to you and say, and 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 yeah, you know, and and the things that you've said to customers about, you know, hey, I don't really care where you run this thing. That's the whole point. Um, it, you know, I think is is where the value is. And, um, you know, like I said, I think as as more companies adopt containers, as containers, I mean, they're pretty mainstream now, but as, as it becomes like the only thing, um, and as we continue on this evolution to, you know, the serverless cloud environments, um, you know, until or unless some other companies come along to try to do the same thing you're doing, you know, you're kind of the only, uh, you know, only thing out there. But I, I think I, I, I would like to think that's true. And I hope it is. I, I think we're personally, I think we're one of the best solutions out there, but to really start to tie back what we've just been talking about, right? Everything we've been talking about, we did out of, out of passion or, or interest. And if you think about the developers, either, you know, um, individual or professional nowadays, um, when they're doing something out of passion or interest, they don't care too much about the actual technology. And this has been shown many times. They don't care if it's serverless or container or whatever else. They want something. They want to run that application. They want it to be secure. You know, I'm advising a, um, a startup on the side that's looking at doing something in the uh, um, uh, compliance space. And they were asking me, like, what are, they want to do it for startups. And they're asking me, what do startups care about from compliance and security and like they're looking for like the least cost possible right they want to focus on their application they want secure by default they want something easy to use um easy to be com- uh, composable and to be able to do these neat things with either microservices um or some of these more flexible and uh architectures so that's why we're looking to fit in and allow those guys to really do what they want to do but at the same time provide security in the easiest manner possible very cool all right well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to join me, uh, and uh, I mean it was a it was a fun conversation. Yeah, definitely. Anytime, Tony. All right. Well, take care. Have a good weekend. Yep. Take care. 
I want to thank Layered Insight for sponsoring TechSpective and this episode of the Inner Circle podcast. Layered Insight is a pioneer in container-native application protection, enabling organizations to unify DevOps and SecOps uh, by providing complete visibility and control of containerized applications. Using an embedded security approach allows Layered Insight to solve the challenge of container performance and protection by providing accurate insight and analysis of running containers and automated enforcement of policies in the container environment without the need for root access. You can learn more by clicking on the Layered Insight logo at the upper right of the TechSpective website, or you can just visit their website directly uh, by going to layeredinsight.com. Thank you for listening. I hope that you uh, got some entertainment or education or, or some value out of uh, the time you invested listening to the podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would give me that feedback and let me know what you like and what you don't like, either in the comments, uh, on the on the blog post on TechSpective, or uh, review the uh, podcast in iTunes. Um, but regardless, uh, again, I just really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. Thank you.